Hello and welcome to the Cloud Tweaks podcast, a weekly look at developments and stories dealing with cloud, cloud security, the Internet of Things, Bitcoin, the blockchain, and other cool stuff. I'm your host, Steve Prentice, and along with our global roving experts and special guests, we will try to package up some of the most interesting and important items currently circulating in the cloud. The events of past weeks have shown us that the entire world has become a very different place, obviously. Without taking political sides here, it is safe to say that President Trump's approach to getting things done, as in immediately, spontaneously, and without any apparent discussion with advisors or branches of government, have taken everyone around the world by surprise. Processes or actions that used to take weeks or months of back and forth now happen in the blink of an eye, or more appropriately, at the speed of a tweet. Now, whether this shock style of leadership works will only be revealed in the course of time, but it does lead us here at Cloud Tweaks to think about similar activities going on in corporations when it comes to cloud implementation, security, and maintenance. For example, we here at Cloud Tweaks were recently involved in a Twitter meetup sponsored by Rackspace and IDG, which was focused on the differences between hybrid cloud and multi-cloud. This proved to be quite an active debate amongst a number of experts, not just simply in the definition and difference, but whether there was any use in distinguishing them at all, and perhaps it was just all marketing hype. Much of the discussion sounded rather Buddhist at times, almost like asking, should I stay or should I go, and getting the answer, that depends on what you want to do. For the record, the general consensus on the definitions is that hybrid cloud uses a combination of on-premise and external clouds for your data activities, where each cloud might serve a different purpose. Whereas multi-cloud is a situation in which each cloud might serve a different purpose. For example, one for heavy-duty data processing, another for storage, and another for transactions. Anyway, if you are listening to this podcast in February, there is still time to join the next conversation. Just jump onto Twitter around 12 noon Eastern time on the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, and search for the hashtag MultiCloudChat, all one word. Doing business in the cloud. One of the most active fronts for the ongoing battle for supremacy in the cloud and Internet of Things spheres is in retail. This week saw the raising of the stakes for delivery, with Walmart now offering a delivery service to rival Amazon Prime. The idea of delivery is one of the many elements that is completely changing the concept of retail for retailers and consumers alike. It used to be that retail was about selling a product, and once the customer walked out of the store, that was pretty much it until the next time. But now, retail means much more. Here are three distinct ways that it has changed. First, as I mentioned, there is the aspect of delivery. To compete against Amazon, retailers are seeking new and innovative ways to get their customers' purchases home, arranging from using their own trucks to custom delivery using actual cars and drivers from Uber Rush or Lyft, L-Y-F-T. These are premium services, of course, much better suited to high-end clothing than to groceries. But for those groceries, there is now the option to shop online and pick up in-store. Retailers who maintain a store inside a mall are now also arranging to use a central place in that mall for customer pickup collectively. These all represent reasonably new approaches to the age-old challenge of keeping the customer happy, being spurred on now by cloud technologies, specifically the fact that customers are now shopping, comparing prices, and even paying for their purchases through the store's smartphone-based responsive website or native mobile app. The second feature here is the sales experience itself. Leading-edge chains like Burberry and Sephora are equipping their sales associates with mobile devices, specifically to read up on profiles of customers as they come into the store. 
This is all done with permission, of course, once the customer sets up a native mobile app, but it allows the customer and the sales associate to start things off on a much more efficient footing by focusing directly on the things they want to talk about. In some cases, this pairs with instant payment methods like Apple Pay and Android Pay to make the entire shopping experience a complete pleasure. And thirdly, there's the concept of data. Customer data is far more valuable than an individual sale since it allows astute retailers to target an entire campaign around an audience of one. Every single customer treated individually with sales and deals specifically for them. This can be done when retailers recognize just how to use cloud-based data. And you know what? It's not just for retail. This concept has powerful potential for B2B enterprises as well. In fact, increasingly, B2B buyers are already demanding it. This all means big changes for the retail industry. Even the more tedious elements of commerce, like handling returns, is now a source of vital customer data and a potential for much longer and much more lucrative relationships, thanks to the cloud and cloud technologies. And now to cloud security. We hear daily about data breaches, DDoS attacks and ransomware events, and it seems the situation is not getting any better, just more sophisticated. Recently, I spoke with Zohar Alon, the co-founder and CEO of Dome9, a network security company based in San Francisco. I asked him first to comment on the idea that many cyber attacks today target the users rather than the infrastructure, and whether this points to the user as the greatest threat. Attackers are, are looking for leverage. They need either our data or a way to get us away from our data, and they use you know the weakest link possible, which usually is a combination of people and machines, right? So uh, I, I, you know, we can't only just blame users. Uh, a lot of it is attributed to technology that is not necessarily designed with security in mind. And as, as, as organizations grow, they, they understand it and therefore kind of invest more in both to, to make sure that an attacker could not have that leverage. So does this mean that companies are investing in people skills as well as technology for cloud infrastructure? Is ongoing training and awareness for all levels absolutely required? Cloud infrastructure, for sure. Cloud infrastructure is so different for so many people that learned their kind of IT skills two decades ago and now hold senior positions as IT managers or executives. They, they realize that a lot of change. I, I used to call those, you know, the, we have those cool kids that that run those amazing apps and, and you know, speak, uh, speak Amazon natively. Uh, but in the enterprise world, a lot of the people that touch this, this infrastructure are coming from a totally different background, and therefore they have to be kind of not reprogrammed, but, but understand differences. And it's not just difference in consuming IT, it's also difference in consuming networking, uh, storage, uh, you know, all, all the elements. You know, we had virtualization in, in enterprises for the past uh, over 10 years now, but the real change with infrastructure as a service is, is the, the way it all ties together, coupled with amazing pace of innovation that, you know, makes things obsolete so quickly and introduces new technologies and challenges extremely, extremely fast into the, the equation. What advice would you give executives regarding steps they can take to upgrade their security policies, their personal awareness skills, or even staffing the executive suite? 
What challenges do they Unfortunately, face? Unfortunately, it it will come down to money and how we how we spend it. But uh, you know, the the kind of the, the basic of that is to is to say, okay, we we need to learn those new skills. We need to moderate how we use them, how we use those technologies. And also, when you know, when we built data centers 15 years ago or 10 years ago, you know, a lot of the costs we assumed for granted. A lot of the hardware costs, the, the routing, the switching, even the security fabric that required us when we built a brick and mortar data center. Today, when we when we do this in infrastructure as a service, we need to remember that we need to invest. We need to measure how much we invest in securing our our applications and our environment. So we can we can have a valid benchmark, and a lot of enterprises that we come across realize that uh, while they they spend uh, hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars a month on cloud infrastructure, they don't even spend the percentage point of that in security of that same infrastructure, which is a equation that that could not have survived in the previous world and doesn't have a long-lasting viability in the future world. Just it's it's all a matter of do you want to get hit before you fix things or do you want to realize that that in many ways compliance and assessing your risks and addressing them and of course in speaking for a vendor it sounds kind of biased but it surprises me to see how many are understanding on security just because it's a new virtual world. Is there a culture of waiting until the dam breaks and then focusing on the cleanup, or are organizations becoming more focused on proactive defense? So, so first, I don't think it's uh, intentional. When we when we come to organizations, when we show them they understand, they actually have have a, not a surprising desire to fix that. So it's a lot of it is lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of this new technology. The number of of instances, VMs, and and how much storage we use. This is something it's easy to quantify, but the other implications of that are, you know, they need some bridging. Uh, enterprise needs some help in understanding what is what is the benchmark. Should I spend five percent, ten percent of my budget on on security? What is? And we we, we are seeing uh, now uh, from from AWS and for Gartner uh, calls that say, you know, you should at least spend between ten and fifteen percent of your cloud infrastructure secu- uh, spend on security. And when this kind of goes into the equation that it is received as perfectly legitimate uh, kind of a point. So, so I'm saying when it's not that they are waiting and things are breaking, but awareness takes the time to, to kind of appear and, and make itself clear. And sometimes, you know, the guy next to you gets hit and it's not your name in the paper, but you know, I've been in this industry for over 20 years and I can guarantee you that you know, every three months there is a big security story. Last quarter, it was the Verizon Yahoo deal that almost collapsed because of uh, proper disclosure and very poor security practices. And, uh, you know, we had uh, over the last uh, five years, two Sony stories and, and many others. So, so it, it will always be in the awareness. And you need, as a security guy, as an IT professional, when, or, or, as a, or as a C-level, when those things come to the surface, you need to ask the questions. And usually, you know, the technology is there. There is an ecosystem that is ready to support you. There's also a lot of uh, managed service providers, a lot of professional help, not just, you know, tools and technologies, but also the people to integrate it. So, um, you know, if you're you're lucky, you get that awareness or you get that realization that you need to 
enhance your security posture and, and you know invest a bit more, especially when it comes to your cloud infrastructure, before you getting you getting hit. Recently, there was an iCloud breach in which Apple tried to blame its own users. Uh, it sometimes seems that we are living inside some sort of Tom Clancy novel where the rules and the power structures seem to change very quickly. It also seems that there is a change of attitude amongst some corporate leaders that deflection is better than prevention. Could this simply become another way for the bad guys to take advantage of the chaos, or am I reading too I much into this? I don't think you read too much into this. I think that when people blame you know, governments for stealing other governments' elections, and uh, just read an analysis today that Europe is next. Like the the next wave of hacking is going to impact Europe's upcoming uh, elections in in many of many of the countries. There are some truths in that the the bad guys can do so many things, and the bad guys can sometimes be uh, you know state owned or government owned. I but I don't see in the, in the in the business culture. I don't think that, that using the, the media or using uh, this misinformation and disinformation to kind of deflect the story, I, I don't think it will hold. You know, uh, the businesses that we serve, they're very clear. They're very clear in their, in their requirements. And, and we need to, as, as a service provider to them, we need to you know, offer an adequate service and, and innovation and constantly being measured especially in the SaaS world where your customers essentially have the option to stop using your technology any, any moment, right? It's not the perpetual license that you buy and you fire and forget. I, I don't think organizations are yet impacted by what's, ha- what's happening in the kind of in the political sphere. It may be, but uh, from, from the bad guy's perspective, you know, they'll take whatever you give them. You know, you leave a door open, you leave a crack open, they will get in just because there's, again, there's, there's money to be made today uh, and, and leverage could always serve you as a, as a bad person or as a, as a maliciously motivated uh, a body to, you know, make financial or other gains. Finally, I asked Zohar whether he has any visions for what might be coming down the cloud security pipeline in the next 12 months. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we we work in the AWS kind of ecosystem, and and we we owe a lot to AWS of kind of building this cloud infrastructure for the past ten years. But we definitely see uh, the 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 multi-cloud trend kind of coming in, and not as a trend, as as a real uh, necessity for organizations to offer, you know, to deal with with regulatory issues or other issues that, you know, sometimes you don't want to put all your baskets in one provider. And uh, with infrastructure as a service, you can, you can understand, you can understand that. And, and we see organizations using Azure and Google Cloud and other cloud vendors. Uh, and, and one thing I say, we, we as a company don't know, we're focused on, on public cloud. And I'm, I'm happy to say that we actually see very little growth in the private cloud side. So a lot of new things are going to the public cloud, and this is coupled with the fact that you now have, have the choice of multiple platforms, not just with a single vendor. This is going to be a lot, a lot more development. R&D organizations are going to be asked by their either CEO or CFO to essentially offer alternatives and get out of the the amazingly comfortable closed garden of Amazon and find options in the Azure or in the Google space 
it's going to be driven by cost, but it's also going to be driven by, by other motivations. Uh, and I'm definitely going to see those three giants, uh, maybe with, with, with Alibaba doing some uh, good things coming from China, leading next year's domination in terms of you know, how IT is shifting. Uh, I'm predicting it's going to be a huge year for public cloud. Zohar Alon is the co-founder and CEO of Dome9, a network security company based in San Francisco. You can find them online at Dome9, that's D-O-M-E, then the digit 9.com. This episode of the Cloud Tweaks podcast is being brought to you by the Bristol Group, now celebrating 25 years of providing top quality soft skills training in time management, project management, and business communications and business writing on-site and online. Check out the Bristol Group at bristol.com, that's B as in Bob, R-I-S-T-A-L-L dot com. Did you know that Amazon has a truck fleet that is faster than the cloud? This is a story that I saw in Wired Business. It was posted there on December the 2nd, 2016, and I think this is just such a cool concept. It is easy for everyone involved in cloud to think that it is the fastest and most efficient way to move data around the planet, and that is quite often the case when you are sending a few emails, watching a movie, or even backing up or sharing a few files on a public cloud. But when it comes to large amounts of data, still nothing beats a truck. According to this Wired story, the link we have on the show notes page, by the way, Amazon has a new service that, quote, makes Google Fiber seem slow, and it rides on 18 wheels. The article describes how downloading or uploading large amounts of data can still take days, months, or even years. For example, it mentions a film studio's entire video archive, or perhaps government satellite imagery. So Amazon recently announced its new service called Snowmobile. And it is basically a modular container loaded onto the back of a truck, and it's designed to transport up to 100 petabytes. That's around 100,000 terabytes per truck. That's a lot of data. Basically, five copies of the entire archive of the internet. It's a giant hard drive that comes to you. Though a truck traveling at 65 miles an hour might sound much slower than a high-speed cable or satellite link, actually it's not. A 1 gigabyte per second connection like Google Fiber would take about 28 years to upload 100 petabytes over the internet. So this article shows that at an average speed of 65 miles an hour, you could drive a snowmobile from San Francisco to New York City in about 45 hours, which translates to about 4,970 gigabits per second. They point out that this doesn't count the time it takes to actually transfer the data onto the snowmobile, which Amazon estimates would take less than 10 days, or from the snowmobile onto Amazon's servers. But regardless, it's pretty quick. Amazon seems to believe that some companies will need multiple snowmobiles, and the site advertises itself as capable of handling data at the exabytes scale, or by Amazon's new measurement, 10 truckloads. Hey Cloud Tweaks listeners, my name is Jeremy Daniel, and I'm currently living in Cape Town, South Africa. Every week, I plan to give you an outsider's view of the tech scene, and unpack the ways that the rest of the world is looking at the cloud, the Internet of Things, and much, much more. So let's start with a quick observation. In a recent episode of the sitcom Blackish, they made a telling point. The main character works in an ad agency that receives a brief in early November, just before the election. By February, they still haven't even started work. The staff spend their days glued to the TV, following Twitter obsessively and arguing politics. From the outside looking in, there seems to be a lot of that happening. Are people struggling to get any work done? 
Every day we see tweets, status updates about how hard it is to concentrate, how distracted and depressed people are. I'm sure it won't manifest into a downward slide for the economy as a whole, but on the face of it, it seems that productivity in US companies is way, way down. But it's not all doom and gloom from the outside, far from it. The tech sector represents the very best of melting pot America, and people on the outside really do see that. We see the protests against the travel ban, we see the firm stances taken by powerful CEOs and firms, and every single day we use these products developed by tech wizards that help spread the values of openness and inclusivity, which are the watchwords of American life. Cloud applications, social networks, energy, transport innovations, crowdsourcing platforms, and much, much more. All American innovations designed to bring the world closer together, to knock down the boundaries between people, no matter where they were born or how they identify themselves. The very fabric of these world-class applications seem to run contrary to the political direction, and we're all watching in fascination to see how this all turns out. Back over to you, Steve. Cloud Tweaks, as you know, is an online news portal that delivers up-to-date and compelling stories on all areas of cloud, including security, AI, financial tech, the Internet of Things, VR, wearables, and much more. This past week, we had such stories as the necessity of education in 3D printing, the junction of technology and healthcare, both of these stories by Jennifer Klosterman. What do fruit flies and big data have to do with your brain by Kayla Matthews? Connecting smart homes with the Internet of Things, and how printers help hackers hide in plain sight by yours truly, Steve Prentice. So that's it for our Cloud Tweaks podcast for the week of February the 6th. Please check us out at cloudtweaks.com and follow us on Twitter at cloudtweaks. If your company is looking for some great exposure to thousands of decision makers in IT, cloud and related industries worldwide, please do get in touch. We can craft a campaign that will get you noticed through the website, through our social media and newsletter channels, all of which enjoy substantial readership and attention. And if you like this Cloud Tweaks podcast, please consider subscribing and leave a review. We are always interested in learning what we can do to bring quality news and interviews directly to you. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Thanks for listening.